Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game, a unique podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, guys, JD coming to you with another episode of For the Good of the Game. Today, we're in Louisville, Kentucky at the 2020 USA Football National Conference. And I have the pleasure of presenting one of the master trainers with whom I've already trained uh, as of yesterday, uh, Cam Campbell. He's from Houston, Texas, U of H grad, second U of H grad I've interviewed in the last week and a half, had Robert Ford from back in the day, uh, just a little while back. So Cam is here not only as a master trainer, but also a participant, and as all of us are as coaches here to learn. And I just wanted to uh, bring him on for a very short interview today to talk a couple of things about the evolution of football, and then we're gonna talk about his new book that he's got uh, on the market right now. So Cam, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Coach, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's really great. I'd like to uh, give you a couple of minutes and just let give the folks kind of your background and your journey through football. Yeah, so my journey through football, I say, is a bit atypical, so I did not play any youth sports growing up. I played one season of Little League in second grade, and they matched me with fifth graders. So as you can imagine, that wasn't the most fun experience. And so, uh, you know, my mom was, uh, uh, was the biggest kid always, and my mom would say, oh, I don't want to sign you up. I don't want you to get hurt, right? And so my first time playing football was in seventh grade, and instantly I enjoyed the camaraderie of it. I enjoyed the competition piece of it, I had no idea how to play the game, right? And so I was a lineman. Uh, I remember the very first day of practice, coach, it was the mid-90s, and I had like I had a flat top that had like Jericho juice in it and like thick glasses. You, you remember those li- those uh, those ace lineman oh, pads, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, we had a good name for those, which I won't say on camera. Right, so, so I had like walking like the snowman, and somebody threw me a ball, and I dropped it. <laughs> right, and so all these teammates are Jeremy, and just you know, not understanding the culture of the inclusion culture of football. Right, and so it was just my my first season in seventh grade. It was fun. I just didn't know the sport. Right, I played football because I was a big kid from Texas, and he played football. But as I began to you know progress, I guess my career and begin to get more coaching, I, it sparked something in me that lifelong learning thing. Right, so you really can, to your point, you know, be a master trainer and still learn. Sure. Right, and so I did that, played through high school, played the University of Houston, enjoyed that. Um, And, you know, we just heard Coach Herm Edwards talk about, you know, football. Football's open every door in my life, Coach. And so uh, from school, my first job was with the Houston Texans in their front office. And, you know, got into coaching at the high school level and began to dabble in entrepreneurship. Took a head coach job, was able to have a lot of success there. And you know, switch back over into the business space. But ultimately, you know, football has, has been uh, just a major piece of my life. You know, I found the same thing. I, you know, spending 23 years on active duty in the Army, I used to tell people, they said, well, the Army is a cauldron for leadership. Most of the leadership skills that I developed happened in up through high school and college football, and I carry those with me into the Army and refine them in the Army. So, you know, not that some people certainly don't go through that process on active duty, but for me, most of the lessons I learned about leadership, teamwork, responsibility, accountability were in football. And that's one of the reasons I stayed active in coaching throughout my career uh, with all of my kids. So as you've gone through the process, and we'll get to the whole 
football you know, uh, developmental model here in a minute, but as you've gone through the process and, and becoming a master trainer and, and seeing the way the game has evolved, where do you think we are in terms of, say, 10, 20 years ago, uh, maybe even 30 years ago when I played, uh, you know, from the standpoint of player safety to where we are now? So I think player safety has come, you know, two millennial away from where we were 30 years ago. I think it starts with player safety and the standards of what it looks like to be an amazing coach, right? So I can speak to this. I'm sure you can more than I, than I can. Do you remember coaching shorts? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I wore them for a long time. <laughs> you play for guys that wore them, <laughs> That's right? right. That's right. And so you think about, like, what's, what's an appropriate demeanor, what's an appropriate decorum for kids? Then you flash back into, okay, well, let's make sure our kids are in safe environments with background checks. Sure. Then we need to make sure our kids, uh, our coaches have AED and CPR certification. So you look at it, and that's, you know, from 30 years ago to 20, 2005, right? So then when you begin to open the door of, you know, USA football and what does a safe football experience look like for a kid and develop the developmental side of coaching, now we're beginning to, to catch up to some of our other peers in different sports who have taken a different approach for a number of years. So when you talk about the safety of the game, we've got amazing folks coaching the game. We're learning, the kids are learning in a different way, but we have science now to back to make sure that what we're doing is actually fundamentally sound versus the way we were taught, which was get them down, knock them down, exactly. make the play, right? So, so uh, we, we had a talk on uh, leverage and one of the coaches was like, well, low man wins. Well, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. uh, what does low man actually mean? Exactly. That's a vague statement, right? So being able to go into the meat and potatoes of what the science of football is now means that we've got to be playing the game at a better place than we were 20 years ago. And, you know, this, it's interesting, uh, a, good, a good transition uh, segue into what Coach Edwards just talked about. He said, you know, back in the day, Coach said jump and you said how high. Now, you, Coach, kids want to know why. And I think that that science and what we are developing here within USA football and fielding now is addressing that why. And it enables a coach who is well prepared to be able to start the drill with why are we doing this. I do that when I'm training athletes. I'm going to tell them why we're doing a dynamic range of motion, what part of the body it's protecting from injury prevention, you know, that kind of thing. What do you think in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the evolution of the, the we, we talk about player safety and how we've made adjustments to the game. What about the actual technique that you've seen and and how does it fit within this football development model where we start them at flag and go to limited contact and then full contact yeah so uh so i share with you my my seventh grade experience and i was a hugger more than a blocker mm -hmm. <laughs> i was a big hugger <laughs> right and so when i got to high school was i guess late 90s was the beginning of the acceptance of zone blocking mm -hmm. right and so for years you had you could feel the 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 lack of cohesion within a coaching staff of, you know, we flipping it, we winging it, we zone blocking, and zone just doesn't make sense. Why would I pass a man to get to, to another man? Well, the scheme has evolved, but again, if I know why I'm passing this man against another man, then I can create buy-in, not even for the rag or renegade kid, but for the kid who just doesn't know, right? And so Coach, Coach Edwards talked about, you know, not necessarily challenging coaches, but questioning coaches, which is a healthy thing, right? If I don't understand why, I probably, in the classroom, if I don't understand why, I should raise my hand and ask a question. Exactly. Right, and so the, so the exact same thing. But, you know, to get back to your point, 
because the evolution of the game has changed from a tactical standpoint, we can question theories, we can pick up pieces of different schemes to hodge together to create our kind of manifesto of what we value. Mm -hmm. But then the biggest thing, Coach, is what I value can change and evolve based upon my personnel. Right, so I'm a spread guy. If I got spread kids, <laughs> if I'm a, if Amen. I got wing T kids, I'm I'm a wing T guy this year, right? And that hasn't been able to happen, I think, until very recently. Well, you know, and I think the evolution in in both ways that we just discussed has helped coaches because at the high school level in particular, because as as a college coach, you recruit players into your system. Right. As a high school coach, you have to adapt your system to the players you have, right. and and certainly in youth ball as well. And I I struggled with that as a volunteer assistant when my sons were playing high school football because coaches wanted to do something their players really weren't physically adept at doing in terms of the scheme. Um, I want to take a few minutes to talk about uh, specifically and as it dovetails into football because you're a great example from an entrepreneurial standpoint of having enjoyed success at the major college level and uh, worked in the pro game for the Texans and um, when you talk about leadership, what prompted you, based on your football experiences and life in general, to write your book? Very simple, Coach. I've been blessed. I've had a overabundance of amazing coaches, right? So it, it wasn't skill set, acumen. It was really great coaches um, from a very young age. And so those coaches truly developed what leadership looked like and it was a transferable deal from the playing field to the community, to the marketplace, to the to the classroom, mm -hmm. right? And so from a very young age, it was seated to me, fair, unfair, if you have a skill set, you're gonna have a leadership capacity, right? With that being said, you may have a leadership capacity regardless of what your skill set is. So uh, there's a great John, John Maxwell book, uh, Talent's Never Enough. Right, so it's always that plus one. So yeah, when you get to a you know, college or even a professional locker room, everybody's all conference, everybody's Gatorade player of the year, everyone's set records. What's the one thing that's gonna make you stick out? And for me, I've just always gravitated towards leadership. It does not require uh, a ton of physical skill. It requires a ton of selflessness, which is what Coach Edwards was talking about a few minutes ago. Did you, uh, did you as you were putting the book together, um, did you go to more lessons learned in life? Did you do a research approach, a little bit of both, or interviews? How did you approach the actual content of the book? That's a really good question. So through my years of coaching and just in business, I've just always, I've been just a big servant leadership guy, right? And I've always had these 12 core competency leadership traits. And I began to, you know, I'm a big reader, I love reading. And I thought like, what's the best way that I love to learn and it's, it's the, the reading that's set in real life examples. And so what we did was I took these 12 servant leadership principles, excuse me, and I married them up to different people in history that displayed those servant leadership principles that made a lot of sense, right? So for example, um, uh, we're here in Louisville, so Muhammad Ali. So we have one of the servant leadership traits we talk about is being a sacrificer, right? And so uh, one of the biggest points of the book is not identifying the most obvious talent, but it's that little dirty nugget no, that nobody sees that makes that person so unique, right? So Muhammad Ali's from Louisville, you know, good-looking guy, nice jaw, rich. You know, it, I think he married four or five times. Each wife is more beautiful than the one before, right? And just a physically dominant person, right? Sure. So he fits the quote-unquote, you know, mold of an alpha. Well, you know, 
by my standard, what makes him an alpha is refusing to be enlisted in the Vietnam War in 1967 and facing, you know, having his two belts stripped, facing prison time at the height of his career. That makes him an alpha more than beating uh, George Foreman in Manila, right? And so it was trying to find these folks who would do amazing things, um, but then also find that one-off that makes them special. And then the second side to that coach was, it, it's a layup to go for the big strappy guy, right? So we've got Muhammad Ali, we've got J.J. Watt, we've also got you know Mahatma Gandhi and, and uh, 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 Mahatma Gandhi and Mia Hamm and uh, Elon Musk and so folks who maybe don't fit the physical demeanor of what our culture calls an alpha, which is the last piece of why I thought this book was so important. Our culture has such a misguided definition of what that word is. Right, it, it, there's no body type, there's no leadership authentarian type that makes an alpha. But being an alpha really is about giving. I, I agree, and you know, John Maxwell teaches that leadership is really influence, and and the the process of influence is not always being the rah rah guy standing up in front saying follow me. Sometimes it is, but not every time. And I think adaptable leaders are able to fit their own, I was always a team building leader. I was, I was lead by example, if I wasn't gonna ask my soldiers to go out and do something that I wouldn't do, I may not be the expert at it, but I was gonna attempt it if not accomplish it. Um, but I think you get buy-in from people and that influence process takes many forms. So I, I, I love the servant leadership approach because I think that in life, as in any situation in life, that you, you garner respect and gain that influence by how you conduct yourself, by the traits that you exhibit, uh, by how you treat people, hopefully with respect and dignity, but more times than not, people forget the servant part. And if you are truly there to serve, what you find is, from my experience, the more you serve, the more abundance comes back to you. And, and people forget about that. Well, I don't have time, or I don't have money, or what, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of, of really, what, how can I bring value to someone else's life? If I can bring value, it doesn't have to cost me money. It may cost me a little time, a little effort, but that's okay. So, I, I mean, do you got, do you, did you have that in mind with the, with the servant leadership no, part? Absolutely. So, in fact, one of the talks I give is called The Broke Philanthropists, right? I so, like it. so, I started my turkey drive in 2015. I was in no financial situation to be able to, I was barely taking care of myself and my family, just in transparency. Um, but I knew what I was supposed to do, and I was trusting enough of God and my faith to know that if I did what I was supposed to do, that I would be in good graces. And so, uh, very organically, I had all the money I had in my pocket. I set up a GoFundMe and just reached out to, you know, using influence to my network and said, hey guys, um, you know, this is a pocket of Houston I grew up in very early in life. I was very blessed to move out of it at, at some point, but I understand there are beautiful minds all over the, all over the place, all sure. over the world. These folks need help. So I've got, you know, 100 bucks, whatever I had, 200 bucks. Um, here it is in the GoFundMe. Please come join. So to your point, I'm jumping in as well. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to jump in. Whatever we can raise, I'm going to go to the store, buy as many turkeys as we can, and just give them away. Um, and that, it was uncomfortable, which is typically a good sign that you're going in the right direction. Um, but it was what I was supposed to do. And that was a moment that I, I probably... You know, had the birth to, to write that book, but I can say as a as a as a man, as a Christian man, 
I felt like I was finally complete. I was so uncomfortable in doing something that did not make logical sense, but it made heart sense. Yeah, I think that's real important for me. What drives me behind the whole, you know, podcast thing with For the Good of the Game, we chose that name very specifically because it, there are so many different angles to do that, you know, through coaching, through parenting, uh, through respect for the game and building things. And uh, I, I just, I, I think that as we go down the road and begin to do other things, the part that, that drives me is this incredible but very believable statistic that 70% of kids in the United States stop playing youth sports by the time they're 13 years old. I, my charge and what drives me is I want to lower that percentage. And if I can, if I can reach 100 kids, that's great. 1,000, a million would be even wonder, more wonderful. But the idea is what do we do? How do I help? How do I serve other people, other organizations that are like-minded to build some momentum behind getting more kids involved for as long as possible in the right environment? And that's one of the things I love about what you and, and the rest of USA football, and particularly the master trainers, have done. Um, the, uh, the football developmental model is, is a tremendous step forward, in my opinion. I think it's great. And, and it's tough for old school guys like me. You know, I was joking my kids. Yeah, I used to park my dinosaur and put my leather helmet on when I played, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, it's a, uh, uh, it really is. It's, in fact, bringing the game back to where we can educate parents and let them make an informed decision, hopefully, to allow their children to benefit from the game of football. You know, I think you're right. And I think the thing that I would add to it is uh, folks who have a growth mindset, there's no age stipulation on growth mindset. Um, the challenges that I put myself a few years ahead is how do I find that itch, that aha of the game when, yeah, maybe discoveries and nuances are becoming far and few between. And what I love about the FDM is can we reimagine the way we do a few things, right? So, so the way that I've been told to block is that the only way there is to block? Or can I challenge and say, well, yes, I can physically get to this guy and put hands on him, but is there a different way, a more effective way? Or am I okay with that, right? So, so as we begin to think about the best way to do, again, going back on Coach, Coach Edwards' message, the best way to do it means that I have to be uncomfortable. And there's this, there's this Asian proverb that talks about willing to be a fool. Am I willing to be a fool to try something different? So as he rolled out this blocking concept to some of these coaches, some guys are saying, no, this is the way you do it. So I asked the coach uh, a few hours ago, I said, uh, when you dress a burger, what's the right way to do it? And the guy says, <laughs> ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise on the top bun, you know, bread, and, and then nothing on the bottom bun. And I said, well, what if I've got research that says that, you know, ketchup is not the right way to do it? Well, that's how I do it. And it's like, well, yeah, that's how you do it can there possibly be another way to dress a burger? And the guy says, well, yeah, I guess, yeah. So, well, so with that same thought process, could there possibly be another way for a contact system? Yeah, right? And so just sparking that thought of, it's a, it's a dangerous place, especially when you try to remain in the growth mindset, is you get so far into it that you end up locking it and you end up in a fixed mindset, right? So as I'm always learning, but it's like I, I know what I know and it's a competency. That's why guys are running around the gym with big upper bodies and small lower bodies. You never want to work on your, your deficiencies. And so, you know, being willing to take your ego off, being willing to take your pride off, and being willing to be open to different things is really how you grow. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Cam, where can uh, folks find your book if they want to buy a copy? So the book can be found at alpharedefined.com. Um, I'm, again, as an entrepreneur, I physically write, I, I, I sell, I package each one up, box it, write a short little note in each, each and every one, and it's just, it's an organic thing. And so I'm really excited about the success. We launched it in October. Um, we've had really rave um, feedback from it. It's an easy to read book. Uh, the character sketches are real life character sketches. We made sure to include uh, people of color. We made sure to include women. Um, it's very much an inclusive book that no matter what walk in life uh, you are, you can get something from this book. That's awesome. And, and ordinarily, folks, you know, when I usually interview somebody that's written a book, I normally have read the book before, but this was such a great opportunity. Uh, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to, uh, to be able to interview Cam. I, I enjoyed his class so much. And uh, when he told me he had the book, I said, well, this is, a, this is a cool way to be able to promote the book, and I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Go find it and, uh, and, and buy it. Do you have a website set up as well, or how can people find you on social media? So you can find me on social media, all handles Coach Cam Cares. And then our website is alpharedefined.com. Awesome. Guys, you know we're going to have our website up here momentarily. You know where the podcast is, both on YouTube as well as all the major streaming platforms. If you, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, be sure you do, and make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast as well. More than anything else, remember, if you're out there doing things for the game of football, make sure you're doing it for the good of the game. God bless, and until next time, take care.